0: Let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God for bringing us together this morning. Um, even when the weather is cold and the uh, blankets suggest that you stay in bed and you still fight them off and, and still come to church. And we praise the Lord for that. Amen. Praise the Lord for him and uh, his Holy Spirit just uh, moving our hearts to see uh, the importance of fellowship and, and and coming together as Christians and as, as believers to encourage one another in the ways of the Lord, to sing together and to hear God's word. Amen. We continue looking at God's word. Let me, before that, uh, let me welcome uh, uh, Mr. Hontze in our midst and uh, welcome, get to know him. Um, it's his first time here and uh, uh, so, get to, to know him. Um, we continue with our series in the book of James, uh, the letter that James writes to the uh, believers in the dispersion, the Christians in the diaspora, those who had left Jerusalem because of persecutions and were outside. Jerusalem, and so now James writes this letter to them as they are experiencing um, various things in their lives, and um, as he writes this letter, we see in chapter One that they were experiencing pers- and, and, and trials and, and and temptation and um, um, they had a different response to God 's word. so James keeps addressing these different issues and and we see now in chapter two, as we progress with the letter chapter two, verse fourteen. We're going to look at verse 14 up until verse 20 today, um, but James's thought actually ends up in verses 26. Um, we'll look at it in two weeks, uh, verses 14 to 26, so today we look at verse 14 up at, until 20. Let us look at God's word and we look at it on the subject of, or the theme of, the autopsy of a dead faith. The autopsy of a dead faith. Let us read from God's word James chapter 2 verse 14 up until verse 20. I read from the ESV. Follow me as we hear God's word this morning. What good is it, my brothers, if someone say to his someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And this is God's word thus far. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, our glorious God, we thank you for your word. As your word says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, uh, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the men of God may be equipped and ready for every good work. We pray that you will take your word, plant it deep in us, and draw us to yourself as we hear it, O God. Correct us from our error, reproof us from every false way. Glorify your name by speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Autopsy of a dead faith. Autopsy of a dead faith. And see, the, the purpose of, a, of an autopsy is to determine the cause of death. What brought about death? The, the pathologist or the coroner, uh, the, 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 the person, the, the medical doctor who works with dead bodies, examines a dead body to determine the cause, uh, the mood, and the manner of of death. In most cases, in performing an autopsy or a post-mortem, um, which is a word that most of us know, it, it can be seen what could have been avoided that caused the death. The, the, the corona or the pathologist can look at the dead body and see um, that if this and that were avoided, that death would have been avoided as well. Now, now James here in chapter 2 verse 14 to 26 addresses the issue of a dead faith. Uh, picture him as a spiritual pathologist with this dead faith lying on his back. He examines it to determine what brought about a dead faith, what brings about a dead faith, and how this kind of death can be avoided. One might rightly say that this is the heart of the, the letter of James. Remember that James's great concern here is to show how Christianity is not to be confined in the area of profession alone, but profession must inevitably be followed by action conforming to the profession. Right. In fact, the whole letter of James can be summarized in four words. Practice what you profess. Practice what you profess. If you were to be asked about what is the whole letter of James about? It's James's letter he writes to Christians to practice what they profess. In chapter 1, he calls believers here to be doers of the word, to to apply the word in their lives, to to practice the word. And now he applies that principle in chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, to a specific sin of partiality or, or favoritism in the church that was being displayed. Then he goes to this section that we just read to show practically that faith and wisdom go beyond empty recitation of religious platitudes or clichés and express themselves in tangible acts of obedience so what we see here in these verses that we just read up until verse 20 we see three signs of a dead faith so that we can cultivate a living and fruitful and fruit-bearing fruit Uh, fruit bearing faith three signs of a dead faith so that we can cultivate a living and fruit bearing faith we see first empty confession superficial compassion superficial conviction let us look at the first one an empty confession verses 14 look at verse 14 he says what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works James here addresses people who profess to have faith, uh, but whose faith was without the necessary fruits that showed it to be genuine. The, the phrase in verse, verses, uh, verse 14, when he says, if someone says, indicate or suggest that there were people who were claiming to possess true faith, that these people were outspoken about the faith that they claim to have. They they spoke more about it. But when you take a closer look at their confession, you can see that it was only shallow and and did not really affect their practical lives. It was an empty confession. It is like a politician who, who speaks of the high standards of health of health care in our country, but when he becomes sick, he checks himself in a private hospital. Or a minister of education who speaks about the quality of education, the high quality of education, but all his children go to private schools. Their confession does not match their action. You see, in his provocative challenge to these people, James poses a question that logically needs a, a negative response. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? You see, the idea here is that the kind of faith that does not have works is no good and, and cannot save. In other words, it is useless, it is empty. Do not un- misunderstand James here as saying that salvation is by faith plus works. right? James is not saying that. that. That's not his point here. But what he's saying is that a genuine faith is proved to be true by the works it produces. right? A, a genuine faith is proved to be true by the works. It produces. But in contrast to this idea that the people that James is addressing here were claiming to have faith but had no good works to prove the genuineness of their faith. John MacArthur rightly points out that where there is true salvation, where where sovereign grace reaches down to regenerate and, and transform a person from sinner to saint, God will create the soul of that person, in the soul of that person, new longings to forsake sin and self and gladly serve the Lord Jesus Christ and obey his divine standards of righteousness. When Zacchaeus uh, believed in Jesus um, in in Luke 19, verse 8, um, listen to what he says to the Lord. When he comes to faith, this is what he says He says, Behold, Lord, Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Uh, You can see that the work of God in his life, that what God did in his life transformed him and made him to be a totally different man from what he was. Previously, he was a greedy man who, who, who robbed the poor to make himself rich. But when the Lord transforms his heart, when the Lord reaches down to him to regenerate and transform him, uh, his, life becomes, his life becomes totally transformed that he is now marked by generosity. He is marked by a heart that wants to uh, show compassion to the poor. You see, when someone truly believes the gospel and is saved, his or her life is transformed and they seek to honor God with their lives. They are marked by a new disposition that seeks to obey the Lord in their lives. But in contrast to that, a dead faith is empty and has no true effect on the manner of life a person lives. They profess to know Christ. They profess to have come to Christ, yet, yet they continue in the sin they once lived in. They, they continue to be dishonest at work. They continue to be toxic in their homes. They, they continue to be stingy with their possessions. That faith James looks at and he says, it is empty and it is dead it is no good and will save no one it shows exactly here when you when you look at the passage that james actually comments about it he says it is no good it, it, it does not save anyone right it doesn't matter how much you confess it but if it is not transforming your life it is dead So that is the first sign of a dead faith. And secondly, James goes on to show us the, the second sign of a dead faith. And he says the second sign of a dead faith is superficial compassion. And I want you to listen clearly to this one. Superficial compassion. Look at verse 15 up until verse 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Right? James here uses an illustration here to show to show that faith that does not have works is, is dead. Remember how James in chapter 1 verse 27 explained that an authentic Christian, that a, a, a true Christian is marked by, by compassion for the needy. And the, the, the compassion that he speaks about in chapter 1 verse 27 uh, is tangible, right? It is the sort of compassion that brings relief to those who are marginalized and, and, and socially disadvantaged. Uh, But in contrast to that kind of temptation, James here in chapter 2 exposes a superficial compassion. A compassion that only ended with words. There's a brother or sister who has a real need here that James speaks about. He he describes him or her as poorly clothed and, and lacking in daily food. when you look at the passage and we uh, you know we we can assume here that this was winter it was winter time because this person when they when who is poorly clothed and who is lacking in 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 daily food the, the person who looks at him says they must be warmed right to go home and so so they are They are poorly clothed. It is evident. It is evident that the state of this person, in the state of this person, that they are poorly clothed. And not only that, but also poorly fed. Right? Now the logical and Christian thing to do is to seek to meet the needs of this person as far as you are able to. Right? This is what the scripture calls Christians to do. Think about Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. This is what it says. It says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, listen to this. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You see, the testimony of Scripture, the the expectation from the testimony of Scripture with regards to um, the response of Christians to the poor is compassion, right? The the Bible expects Christians to be marked by this compassion and not a superficial compassion, but a tangible compassion. But these people are different. Although the word of God clearly calls us to show compassion to the needy by meeting their needs, these people that James is addressing were marked by a different kind of compassion. It's a compassion that was superficial. There's no practical outworking about it. Notice what the, the response of this to, the, to this brother or sister in need is. Go... In peace, be warmed and, and filled. And James says, he comments, he says, without giving them the things needed for the body. This kind of compassion, it's a it's a pretend compassion. James says, it is no good, and it is useless. It is not the compassion that God causes to show. Today people say it differently, right? But the, they say it with the same spirit. When, 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 when people hear the needs of a brother or sister, they say, they, say, they say things like this. They say, my thoughts and prayers are with you. My thoughts and prayers are with you. How lovely. You see, brothers and sisters, when someone is hungry, your thoughts and prayers mean absolutely nothing. You see, a bowl of soup, actually, is ten times better than your thoughts and prayers when someone is hungry. Oh, may God bless you. I wish that God will provide for you. Uh, Saying this to someone Saying, I wish, I, I hope God uh, will meet your, your, your needs. It's actually saying to that person, I, I, I have compassion, but I will not do anything about it. Right? When you say this to people, when you say this to people, when you say, I hope God opens a door for you. I hope God blesses you. You must say it with the reality that God might want to use you as the blessing to that person. God might want to use you and your resources as the provision to that person. First John chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, James makes the same comment, actually. He says this, he says, But if anyone has the world's goods, and if anyone has resources, if anyone is blessed with, with resources, with material things, with financial things, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The the, the logical answer to that question is that God's love does not abide in that person. Right? They have the world's goods. God has graciously given them these material and financial uh, things. And they see a brother or sister in need, and and instead of uh, availing themselves to that person, they close up their heart. And John here is saying, you cannot hold a greedy heart on one hand and hold the love for God at the same time. That's impossible. These two are on two different poles. Then he goes on to say in verse 18, little children, let us love let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth right uh, 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 this is what john is saying it says love is not best displayed in 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 words and in talk it, it's easy to talk right it's easy to, 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 to open your mouth and, and let words come out. But what John is saying is that words must be followed by actions. Uh, these people that James is talking to here, they appear godly. They say things that are godly. All these Christian platitudes, all these Christian cliches. Right? God bless you, but they do not see them as the agent of blessing in that person. They do not see themselves as agents of blessings. And James says about this faith, so also faith by itself, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let me make this this comment uh, actually. Uh, what James is saying here, what James is arguing for, is not she's not arguing for. For, for, for initially coming to faith in Christ. He, he's arguing for people that are already in Christ and are already claiming faith. And he's saying that when you are in Christ and, and if, if your faith is truly what you say it is, it must be proved by the fruits it produces. If it does not produce fruits, it is not faith just as the Reformers would say, right? The Reformers would say, uh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Then they would say things like, but the faith that saves is never alone. The faith that saves is never alone. You are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. So James Shows that this dead faith, this uh, two signs, first of all, that we've seen of a dead faith. That uh, uh, first, a, a dead faith is, is 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 marked. A dead faith is marked by an empty confession, and secondly, a dead faith is marked by a superficial compassion. And thirdly, James goes on to show, sin uh, verses eighteen. Uh, to verse 20 is that a dead faith is marked by shallow conviction or superficial conviction. It is marked by a shallow conviction. Verses 18 to verse 20. Look at God's word as we read. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish passion, that faith apart from works is useless? And he goes on to show it in in verses 21 to verse 26, which we'll look at next week. James argues here that faith, that faith is not only confined to believing facts, Of the gospel but must be shown to be true by bearing fruits in accordance with the gospel that faith only believes the facts but not has no evident submission to the Word of God I I was thinking for a couple of weeks now that so much um, this might be a bit off topic um, so much could be avoided if Christians are submitted to the Word of God. Right? Conflicts could be avoided if Christians are submitted to the Word of God. If we are not looking out for number one, if we are looking out for the glory of God, so much could be avoided. Marriages could thrive and and grow from strength to strength if husband and wife are submitted to God's word. And if Christians are submitted to God's word as well, the church would progress. The poor in the church will be taken care of. The needy will be taken care of. Because it's not about first taking care of the needy. It's about first submitting to God's word. And because God's word tells us to take care of the needy, in submission to God's word, we respond with hearts that are committed to God. James here, anticipating that people might object to what he's saying about their faith and exposing how their faith is dead um, responds by using a person who, who objects to this dead faith that does not produce works. In other words picture two people talking and one person says I have faith right? In verse 14 the person in verse 14 says I have faith but their faith is not producing any works and the second person comes and says show me your faith that does not have works and I'll show you my faith by my works. The, the point is clear here. Uh, the faith of a true Christian is shown to be true by the works it produces. Think about Ephesians chapter 2, remember Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 10, right? Uh, that's one of the passages I love very much because it, it, it tells uh, the story of our lives from uh, from um uh, bc to ad right before christ to uh, after christ and and you look at verse one up until verse three verse one up until verse three it describes our 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 dark days our our time when we were bound to sin our, our time when we were slaves of sin when we were dead in sin and trespasses when, when we were following the course of this world the prince of the power of the air and 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 following um, our flesh as well and and verse four comes out with a big punch on that old life it says but god being rich in mercy He has done this. He has has raised us up. He has given us life because of his love. He has has made us new in Christ. And then he goes on to argue this. And he says, the reason we are saved, we are saved by grace alone in verse 8 and verse 9. Not because of our works. But that's not all he says. Consider verse 10 of chapter 2. He says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see that? We are not saved by works, but we are saved to works. Does that make sense? Does it doesn't make sense? Right? We are not saved by works, we are saved by grace alone, right? By God's favor alone alone the undeserved favor of God it is God who saved us it is not because we did anything to be saved but after we are saved God saves us to do good works right it says we are his workmanship he continues to work in us and a perfect display of God's of of God's working in you will be displayed or seen in you doing good works Good works are an indication that God is working in you. Right? He prepared these good works beforehand that we should walk in them. And the question is, are you walking in the good works that God has prepared for you? Are you walking in them? Is your life uh evidencing the fact that you are walking in them? Is your life proving the fact that there is true faith and God is working in you? In other words, God saves us not by our good works, but he saves us through good works. James addresses the idea of just, just believing truth with your mind, but that does not have any, any, any effect on your heart. He says in verse, in verse 20, You believe that God is one, you do well. It's a good thing to believe that God is one, right? I mean, it's a biblical doctrine, it's a a theological, sound belief. You believe that God is one, you do well. But it doesn't end there. Listen to what he says. He says, even demons believe and shudder. Let me explain this. In, in a tongue and cheek fashion, what, what James is doing here, he wants to show that only believing without that belief changing your life does not make you different from a demon. Congratulations, you have achieved demon level. In other words, uh, uh Believing doctrine, believing um, good theology must transform your life. If it does not transform your life, you are just like Satan. Think about it. Satan knows that God is one. Right? In fact, Satan believes that Christianity is the one true religion. He believes... Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. Remember in in, in Matthew chapter 4, since you are the Son of God, turn these stones to be bread. He he confesses Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, but, but it's not a confession of repentance. It's a confession of saying, yeah, I know it's true, but this truth has no bearing on my life. Satan knows about God. Satan is monotheistic. He believes in one God. He believes the truth of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He believes that. If you believe that, that's good. James says it's, it's good. It's a good start. But if that belief that does not change your life, if it does not lead you to a holy life, if it does not lead you to a generous life, if it does not lead you to a compassionate life, you are just like Satan. And, 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 and demons here are actually better. They, they are actually better because they believe that God is one and they do what they shudder. They, they tremble. They fear. They fear. We believe that God is one, we continue in sin. We continue to dishonor our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We do not even care about uh, uh, the sin that we live in. We we do not shrink back in fear. We do not shudder. Demons shudder. James says, it is foolishness do you want to be shown you foolish person you see that you see how he puts uh, that word you foolish person in other words to have to have this shallow uh, uh, um, confession to to have to, to to have this shallow conviction to be convicted about this truth but this conviction does not change your life is to be foolish is to be foolish. James wants to make sure that these believers have the true living faith. And I wonder this morning, as you hear this word and you are examining yourself, you're asking yourself questions in your mind. Is my faith alive? Do I have a dead faith? Or do I have a living faith? Let me call you to to look at God's word and to consider what God has to say to you today. To see God's word as coming out to to teach you, to reprove you, to rebuke you, to correct you. Where are you in your journey of faith? You might have been at a stage in your life where at first you had a living faith and you were vibrant in your faith. But as time went on in your Christian journey, you felt the strength of your faith waning. Losing strength, losing life. Where are you? God calls you to look to Christ, put your trust in him, to call out to him, just like that man who said, I believe, help my unbelief. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. You know us better than anyone can ever know us. You know our hearts, hearts that we are able to hide from people. You know our thoughts, even before they, they come out of our mouth. And so we submit to you, O oh God, that you will be the one who draws us to yourself and speak to our lives. Transform us with your gospel. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.